morning. We're, uh, we're continuing to work through this uh, message series called The Money Margin. And, and, but before we really launch into the message, I wanted to introduce some folks to you. In the Bible, oftentimes when uh, church leaders um, had others passing through their cities or their towns, um, they would welcome them to the church, they'd greet them. And, and so I wanted to take the time to do that. I wanted to introduce you to Josh and Sarah Affleck. And they're right here. Maybe you guys can wave your hands and maybe just pop up and stand so people can see who you are and tell you a little bit about them. So we're, we're glad they're here. They're friends of ours from <clears throat> they're friends of ours back from our college days. And but they serve the Lord in East Asia, and they have two children, and they're expecting one more. But they have Nathan and Emily, two young um, kids. They're in our kids zone, and they're on uh, they're missionaries in another country. And they're on their stateside assignment. They're spending some time. Um, they've been serving for over three and a half years in East Asia. And in the city that they are serving in, there's approximately 1.5 million people. And I think what they told me was that's like a distance from three miles by eight miles. So just this, you know, if you can imagine three by eight miles, 1.5 million people. Um, you know, lots of apartment complex. I think they said there's 3,000 people in their in their in the complex that they live in. But so they live in this, in this city in East Asia, and of that 1.5 million people, less than 2% of them um, follow Christ, claim to be Christians. And so that's under 20,000 people out of 1.5 million. So this is a people group that is unreached, has not heard much, if anything at all, about the name of Jesus Christ. They haven't heard you know, all that, you know, that God um, has done through Jesus. And so this is a... It's really a brand new message that they're taking um, into this, into that city. Uh, but they're here with us this weekend, and they have a table that's set up near the back, near the resources table. And they've got some uh, pamphlets, some literature, some things. And uh, if you would, you know, on your way out, stop by and just visit with them, say hi to them, introduce yourselves to them. Um, if you're interested in learning about what they do, I'm sure they'd love to share that. Also, if you, if you just really have a heart for praying for um, those that are serving the Lord, in other places. And again, I'd encourage you to go and say hi to them. So we're glad you guys are here to worship with us. Thank you for serving. Also, in December, we take up a missions offering to support worldwide missions. And so this kind of gives you some bases to know when we start talking about how we give to something um, internationally. This, these are some people that are supported through those um, special offerings. So, Well, like I said, we're going to be dealing how to deal with the financial pressure that we experience in life. And we've talked last week about margin and just the absence of margin financially and what that, how that squeezes us. And, and it makes it really uh, difficult, creates all sorts of problems for us in life. And last week we looked at how to get out of the red. How do I get out of debt? And what does God have to say about debt? We looked at the different um, types of debt that the Scripture talks about. And then today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how to stay out of debt. If you find your way out of debt, then the last thing you want to do is end up right back in that same place. Isn't that true? I don't know if you've done that. You've gotten yourself out of debt. Things are going great. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you make some decisions that lead you right back to where you started. And now you're feeling under pressure again. And how many of you ever have ever received those preferred customers' uh, credit cards? You know, you're the preferred customer of Visa or MasterCard or bunch of other companies and you know you get it in the mail and here's this credit card it's already been approved you didn't ask for it they just automatically send it and they say it's pre-approved for you you know here's five thousand ten thousand twenty five thousand dollars of credit you know we're thinking wow that's 
That's great. But you know what preferred customer really means? It means you're our kind of lunch meat. (laughs) Because preferred customer credit cards are not based on your financial status. They're based on your borrowing track record. So they send it when we, when we struggle to pay or when they see, man, this person has carried a long balance for a long period of time. They're, your, you know, they're our best customer, they're thinking. So you're a preferred customer of theirs. Well, it's just, it's, you know, everyone, all these companies, they just make it so easy for us, even if we're out of debt, to just find our way right back into that hole. And I told last week, I told everyone can, my confession of my compulsive um, timeshare purchasing and uh, it's been about nine years since my last timeshare purchase again. But why was it so easy for me to sign on the dotted line a second time after, after one year? You know, we had a year to reflect on the decision. Now, again, I have nothing against timeshares. I've enjoyed the, those timeshares. But for us, it was out of place. We had just gotten married. We didn't have any money. We had to borrow all of it. And then we do it again one year later. You know, it was just out of place for us. You might be in a place where you've got the money to be able to do that and to pay for it. But for us, you know, what that did is it constrained our life. It put us under pressure to where we had to forego all sorts of good things that God would have wanted us to do over those years when we were paying that thing back. But I ask myself, you know, why is it so easy for me to just sign on the dotted line again? Or other times when I've made decisions that have, have put me in debt, why is it so easy to do? And you probably ask yourself the same question. Why, why is it so easy to just get myself back into debt? If you were to go to Barnes & Nobles or Borders, any of the bookstores around, and start looking for books on how do I, you know, how do I get out of debt and stay out of debt, um, by and large what you're going to find is books on how to control spending, books on how to exercise more self-control. And uh, you know, it's... it's it's behavior modification is what most of the books will talk about. How do you change the behavior? But in the Bible, if you look deep in the Bible, what you find is what leads to behavior is our perspective and our values. We, we see life a certain way. We believe certain things about reality. We have a certain value structure. We believe certain things are more important than others. And God is trying to get after shaping our perspective the way we see things, he's also trying to shape a different value structure in us. We also have a heart that has some good stuff in it and some bad stuff in it. But if you want to find your way out of debt and you want to stay out of debt, you can't just change behavior and address the behavior. You have to look deeper into the heart. You've got to look at some things going on in the inside. And that's what the Scripture addresses. It deals with some priorities, those values, and it deals with perspective. And so we're going to look at this issue I'd encourage you to pull out this listening guide. We're going to talk about several things and what the Bible says is needed to maintain financial freedom long term. The reason that I don't just have one thing to say about it is because the Scripture doesn't just have one thing to say about it. The reason that I can't just address it briefly is because it's a complex issue. Oftentimes we we approach finances and we think it's a lot simpler than it really is. But God, He looks at the details. And so we're going to look at the complexity of how to stay out of debt. Three things we're going to look at is, well, three areas. Five priorities to maintain, three practices, or three attitudes to avoid, and two practices to keep. Most of the time we're going to be looking in the book of Proverbs. Um, But before we do that, we're going to look at five priorities to maintain. And I'm going to be really frank with you about what the Bible says here. Um, I don't speak very often about money. I think this is my second message 
third message all year. But money's one of those topics where maybe the last time you, you attended church, the guy was talking about money, and you feel like this is all that the church ever talks about. Um, the Scripture has a lot to say about it. Jesus said more about this topic than any other single topic. Stewardship was a big, big deal. He talked more about stewardship than he talked about heaven and hell. And so this, this is a high priority. The reason is because if you miss the boat on this area, it impacts every other area of your life. And like I said, when, when, when we made choices that constrained us and put us under pressure, it, it limited our ability to love. It limited or it prolonged our ability to, to love. And that's the only debt that the Scripture says we're to have, is this ongoing debt of loving people. And oftentimes that costs, that costs us something, doesn't it? So let's get into this and look at these priorities. There's five priorities that you'll want to m- maintain to stay on the course. The first is keep God first over all else. Just God has to be first over all else. God is the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth. He's the one that you know, provides it to us. And this is something very, very clear in Scripture, that God needs to be first above all else, but it doesn't settle well with Americans. You know, as Americans, we think you know, we're in control of, of our lives. Nobody tells us what to do. So God's certainly not going to be first. It just it seems anti-American to, to make a statement like to put God first over all else, to make him the boss. But in the Bible, if you want to prosper long term, if you want to experience God's favor in your life, then the principle is God first over all else. And I want to look with you at some stories from the Old Testament. And first I'm going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8. But what you have in Deuteronomy is, at this point in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, is a summary of what has gone on in some of the history of God's people the nation, or the people of Israel. God had delivered His people who had been slaves. They were enslaved in Egypt. And if you know the story, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, or you've just, you know the Ten Commandments and all of that, then you understand that God's people were, they were slaves. They were held captive. God raised up a, a person to lead them, to deliver them. His name was Moses. Out of Egypt, out of the, you know, the hands of Pharaoh, and out of slavery. And God said, I'm going to lead you as a people to a promised land, to a, na- to, a, to a place that would, would have something that you guys have never experienced. There would be resources and all. It was the land that, that they were longing for. And God had promised them and to their forefathers. He'd made this promise that he would lead them to this place. So this process begins of working their way towards the promised land. But the Israelites or the, the people, God's people were, were wandering at a certain point. God was testing their hearts. The scripture says that they wandered for for 40 years, okay? And during that point, God was testing their hearts to see what they were really made of, to see what their values were, to see what was really important to them. And eventually, they get almost to the promised land, and God gives them, the, he gives them a way of living. He gives them the Ten Commandments through Moses. And there's, there's a funny story about the Ten Commandments. God had given, he took Moses up onto a mountain, and he gave them these tablets. He gave him these tablets. On those tablets are written the Ten Commandments. And then he says, Moses, you better go down the hill right now. You better go fast because these people, they've already you know, begun to break a couple of these laws. They had erected a golden calf and began to worship and bow down to this golden calf, which the first two of the Ten Commandments, really, they had already begun to violate. And so Moses goes down the hill. He sees the people worshiping another god, a golden calf, and he shatters, he throws these Ten Commandments down, he shatters them. And he goes back up the mountain, spends another 40 days with God, 
And, and he's, he, he's pleading with God not to just wipe these people out. And God says, okay, let's do this again. He writes another, you know, he, same Ten Commandments, different set of tablets, and he brings these things down. God lays out these boundaries for living. Beyond the Ten Commandments, in, in chapter 8, and, and actually in the chapters preceding chapter 8, you'll see that God wanted to make sure that his people really knew how to live when they arrived in the land that he was leading them to. So he set some clear boundaries. He gave them some other commands beyond the Ten Commandments. He gave them some decrees and some laws. And so Moses began to lay this stuff out for, for God's people. Then in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, he begins to address this whole area of you need to remember, you need to recognize God's place in your life. You need to remember how God has provided for you. And in chapter 8, verse 3, you get this verse. It says, He humbled you. He's talking to the people. He says, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he's saying, remember when you were wandering in the desert. He said, God provided. He humbled you, but he provided manna. You were hungry. He provided this stuff. It's like bread from heaven. They, didn't, they really didn't know how to describe it, so they called it manna, which it mean, literally means, what is that? It's kind of this indescribable substance that, that fed them. And God provided manna for them every day while they were wandering through the desert. The interesting thing about the manna was this, that if you held on to it longer than one day, it would rot. It would turn to worms. And so God provided only enough manna for the daily nourishment of His people so that they, could, so that they would remember, God's providing for me daily. He, on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, he would provide two days' worth of manna so that they would have enough for the Sabbath day when they weren't to be um, you know, doing any work. And so he provided for them, and he gives them this example to just remember, to remind them, hey, I'm in charge. And God is trying to get them to the point where they just don't forget. And Moses keeps saying, hey, don't forget what God has done. Don't forget what God has done. And then you get down to verse 12 to 14. And he's talking about now when you, when you land in the promised land, if you forget, he says, otherwise when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. See, they had this real pattern of just forgetting who was first in their life. They forgot the place that God had played and they lost sight of who should, you know, who should direct the flow of their lives. Look at Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. This is what he says. He says, you know, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced all this wealth for me. You know, for us today, it might sound like, you know, I've got a great education. I've got a nice, you know, place. I've worked hard. I've got a good job. I've laid up my nest egg. He's saying, don't forget, though. Don't forget who's provided for you. You know, it's very easy for us to claim, yeah, I put all this together. My power and my strength has done all that I've got. But look at verse 18. Again, he says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers, as it is today. So the ability to produce wealth, it comes from God alone. It comes from Him. He's rather generous, too. He's very generous with His people. But whenever we neglect or whenever we ignore what God has to say, we find all sorts of problems come up in our life. 
we start encountering real, real problems. We looked at this last week. But if you'll give God what he demands, then you begin to really experience God's favor in life. Now, we looked at Malachi 3.10, just to bring this verse back to mind. This is the last book in the Old Testament. But in Malachi 3.10, this is what we're told. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. God's people, this whole nation, now this is much, much later than the Deuteronomy passage. Okay, This was about 480 years before Jesus Christ came on the scene. And the whole nation was kind of under a curse because they were not putting God first place in their life. They were experiencing the opposite of God's favor. And so everything was withering up. Verse 11 says, if they would bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And look what he promises. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Another version of Scripture says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. What we find is that whenever we don't do what God says in any given area, he's, he's, since He deals in reality, then we experience real results. We experience real consequences at times. Um, Financially, when we withhold what God says is His, things begin to get eaten up in our life. And if, if you're if you've not decided to follow Christ yet, um, you know that you're kind of you kind of joined a family talk today in a sense because this, you know, this is from the scriptures for God's people. And so, um, if you're not you know if you're not decided to follow Christ, then um, I'm certainly not telling you to do any you know to start giving giving to our church, I, I realize there's a process of, that you're going through in deciding whether or not you'd like to make Christ the boss of your life. But for those that have, this is a very serious issue. Generally, if things start to break down in my life, if I see a pattern of broken things or a pattern of, yeah, of things being eaten up, then the first place I ought to check is my, is my checkbook and make sure that I'm giving God what, what He's required. Because this is, this is a very real, real response. Things begin to break down. Um, also, I'm not saying that anytime something breaks down, it's an indicator that you're not giving to God. And so don't hear me say that. Another thing is, just because you're giving to God doesn't mean that you don't need to change the oil on your car and, and you know, maintain your house. Um, but it's, it's an area you'll want to check out in your life. If, if you notice a pattern of things that are breaking down just constantly, you're, you're under it financially, then make sure you're putting God first place in life. In the book of Haggai, you'll see this passage, Haggai 1, 2 through 11. Um, Haggai was a person, was a prophet who had worked tremendously among God's people. This happened around 500 B.C. after God's people had been in captivity for about 50 years in Babylon. And God led his people back to their land. He restored them to their land. And, but they were still experiencing hardship financially. Just things were not going well for them. And again, you might say things were being eaten up for them. Things were breaking down. But look at what, what you find in Haggai 1, 2 through 11. Let me get there. It says, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. God was, you know, God's temple, God's house was still in ruins. And 
His people were focused on themselves. So look at what it says. Verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You've done all this work. You've planted, but nothing is sprouting. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How often does it feel like that's the case? You, know, you deposit the paycheck into the bank, and it seems like you're convinced someone's off at the bank. But, but So they were experiencing these holes in their pockets or their purses. Nothing that they were doing was amounting to anything financially for them. It was just falling through their fingers. It says in verse 7, This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So God was saying, I want you to rebuild my house. I want you to rebuild this temple. God's house is important. And He's saying, verse 9, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. That's a scary thought, I think. To have God blow away our stuff. To, get, you know, to have God to, to do some things. We thought we're putting something together and then God blows it away. What God blows away is gone. And he says, why? Declares the Lord because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought. Listen. God is involved in the problem. He says, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. See, these were people who knew God's truth, but they just weren't doing anything about it. And, and now, everybody was just so preoccupied on themselves. They, they, God wasn't first place. He wasn't first over all else. They were first, and their things were first. And so they were experiencing the consequences and the truth is, if God gets the leftovers in our life, so will, so will we, or so will you. Anytime we give God our leftovers, then we will experience the same thing. We get the leftovers in life. This is really the case because God, again, He is in charge of reality. We think we can um, do an end run on God sometimes and just bypass what He says and put it together for ourselves, but God is truly in charge of reality. So that's the first priority that needs to be in place. The first and second of these, these priorities are really the most important. That's, they're actually in order of importance. The second one is this. Next, pursue wisdom aggressively. This is what the Scripture says. Beyond putting God in first place in your life and making Him the Lord and saying, God, you're, you're, you're going to be first even over my finances. Next thing you want to do is pursue wisdom aggressively. Wisdom involves three things. What, what is right before God, what is just before people or man, and then what is smart or prudent in the way that we carry out our goals. I'm not going to take a lot of time to, to, to explain all that, but again, wisdom is those things that are right before God, just before man, and, and prudent or smart towards our goals. Wisdom is just basically knowing how, how life really works, knowing life from God's perspective. That's that's wisdom. And so we're to pursue it aggressively in our life. 
As you act in wisdom, what you find out is that life just takes a different path. Proverbs 4, 7 says this. It says, wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. You know, this verse, the translation that, we're, that we've got here, is, is somewhat misleading, I think, because of English, our, our English translation of the, word wis, uh, of the word supreme. When we say supreme, wisdom is supreme, we think uh, highest ranking, right? Supreme is like the highest thing. We think supreme court, um, it's the highest court. But the Hebrew term really has, has to do with being first or being the beginning, the breakthrough point. So wisdom is the breakthrough point. It's the starting point for understanding how life really works. And so he's saying, you know, get it. Get it first. Go after it first. Because once you do, you break through into really knowing how life works. Therefore, it might cost you. It, you know, though it costs you all you have, get understanding the way we tend to operate in our society is we, we go after education. We live in an educational society with an educational model. So we go to school and you, know, you might have been through grade school and high school and college. and Maybe you stopped there or maybe you, know, you finished high school and you stopped there. Maybe you went and you did some advanced degrees. But as soon as we finish those degrees, learning tends to stop in life. We think, I've learned it all. But actually, that educational process isn't necessarily gaining us wisdom. It's gaining us all sorts of information. Because wisdom, again, is knowing how life really works from God's angle. Our educational process isn't set up to do that. It's showing you how to, you know, how to make, you know, how to live the American dream, how to make the best life possible, you know, how to, you know, how to do things better than the guy down the street so you can, you know, you can build your nest egg, you can get ahead in life. But wisdom is precious. Because wisdom has something to do with every area of our life. Our relationships, the way we handle family life, the way we just approach life. That Our ability to go after wisdom will impact these things for the good long term. You know, for everything else, there's money. But wisdom is priceless, the Scripture says. It's just something you can't put a price tag on. And it's as though it, will, you know, it costs you everything. It costs all you have. You even... Pay money for wisdom. You may never have thought of it this way, but wisdom costs us financially. If we want to grow in wisdom, we have to at times take opportunities to grow. Sometimes that provides, sometimes that means it's training, sometimes it's seminars, conferences, sometimes it's buying books to learn, but it costs us something, doesn't it? To get wisdom, it costs us something. If you, if you want to grow in wisdom, then find people who, who you believe are wise, who you see you know, wisdom in their life. You see God um, at work in their life by the way they live and they're putting things into practice according to what God says and ask them, ask them questions about their life, the things that they make, the choices they make, or how do they pursue wisdom. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 16. Real similar passage. It says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. Those two words indicate this requires extra effort. The Hebrew... The language of the Old Testament, the tense that's used here, it's a tense that it indicates extra effort is required. You, you've got to cause something to happen here. And so, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable, speaking of wisdom, she's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. So if you really want to do well in the long term, then you've got to charge hard after wisdom. You have to go after it. That's why it's so important to get into the Scriptures for yourself. Um, To not expect someone else to do that for you, but to get into the Scriptures on a regular basis and to spend time with God and allow God to speak into your life, to speak the truth of how life really works. To, to do that systematically on a regular basis is so important. If, if you've never done that before, a great place to start is even the book of Proverbs because it takes practical summaries of how life really works. Some things that you can just read, pray, and then try to mull on those things and put them into practice in your life as you're going about the day. But Proverbs contains tremendous wisdom on life. Here's two questions to ask related to, to this area of wisdom. Is The first question is, am I paying a price to grow in wisdom? Am I paying a price to grow in wisdom? And then how, how am I doing that? How am I paying a price to grow in wisdom? And then evaluate your approach to what the Scripture says about how we're to aggressively pursue wisdom. I, I encourage you, a passive, well, a passive approach to life and growth will never lead us to wisdom. It won't get us there. So that's the second priority to maintain is pursue wisdom. The third is this. Now we're going to move much quicker through the rest of these. Is right, not wrong money. The Scripture has a lot to say, especially in the book of Proverbs, about this priority of right money, not wrong money. There's a big temptation to try to cut corners in life, to try to, you know, to get things in shrewd ways or in ways that are deceptive or take advantage of people. But in your approach to keep money or or in your approach to get money is make sure it's right, not a wrong strategy. Look at Proverbs 21.6. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. That word vapor, fleeting vapor, is this Hebrew word that indicates something is done in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. It comes up a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. But he's saying anytime you, you know, a fortune made in lying tongue, anytime you're being deceptive to get, you know, to, to store up, Man, that is a, it's empty. It's a deadly snare. We don't realize the, the future pain we'll experience. But when we go after wrong money, we're asking for pain in our life. Proverbs 1.19, Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gains. Ill-gotten gains. Whenever you get money wrong, any, any time you've went after money wrongly, it says it takes away the lives of those who get it. <clears throat> It doesn't last. It just creates problems for us. This is why we pay taxes. This is why we report our, our, you know, our work. We do everything above board. This is why we should, because it will catch up with us. You don't cheat people. You just stay above board. Uh, whenever you slip into corner cutting, what we're actually doing is we're cutting into ourselves. We don't realize it, but we cut into ourselves long term. Wrong money rises up at different times um, and it, to, for all of us. Every single person here can count on opportunities to gain wrongly. Wouldn't you agree? There there are opportunities to get ahead that's not right before God. I was with my son at a Del Taco. And uh, everyone's laughing about Del Taco. (laughs) I'm a big spender. What can I say? (laughs) uh, But I paid with a five. You know, got our bean burritos. Paid with a five. And... uh, the lady gave me my change as if I'd paid in with a 20. Have you ever happened? Has that ever happened to you? She's counting out all this change, and I'm thinking, huh, I only gave her a five, you know. 
thank you, God. I mean, how easy would it be for us to think, you know, wow, God's really blessed me today. You know, what a blessing. But very quickly, a verse came to my mind. It's Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And before taking the money and quickly walking out the store, I, I was reminded, God sees this. sees the way that I handle this. Everything, we're, you know, everything is laid bare before Him. But wrong money pops up all the time. Opportunity. So when it does, the best thing is just steer clear. Aim for the right money. Here's the, the, fourth, priority. <laughs> the fourth priority. is Diligent work over rest. Proverbs 28:19 He who works his land will have abundant food but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty This picture of the one who chases fantasies is this You've all seen those um, those treasure hunting movies like a National Treasure or you know all sorts of treasure movies where they're chasing after this treasure maybe or even I remember the scene from Indiana Jones where they're chasing after this thing and they I think they were looking for a person but but they flip open this, this sack where they expected something to be and it wasn't there. They were chasing the wrong thing. That's what this is talking about. Chasing fantasies is like chasing after a sack or some, a bag that you open it up when you get it finally and you realize it's not there. You've chased the wrong bag. But the truth is <clears throat> there will always be another bag to chase if we, if we chase fantasies. If we're looking for ways around diligent work, there will always be another chance another opportunity just waiting beyond the horizon. But the Scripture says, you know, the one who does that will have his fill of poverty. So an, one opposite to diligent work is just chasing after get-rich-quick schemes. Um, when, when we're off chasing those opportunities, the opportunity to produce income is gone. We've lost that opportunity. So the Scripture just warns heavily against this. It says you want to make a priority over diligent work. Be diligent. Look at Proverbs 10, 4 through 5. Lazy hands makes a man poor, but diligent hands brings wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. There's a time to work hard, and over the long haul, our finances are tied to our ability to just stay diligent. Diligence is that process that's required to mine for gold. That's the biblical pictures. Digging something, digging a deep trench or mining for gold, it's that just ability to stay after it. And when it comes to work, that's, that's work for us, isn't it? It's just, it doesn't go away. You wake up, you know, Monday morning and it's there waiting for us. But you just have to stay diligent in our jobs. The last priority is this, saving over spending. Saving over spending. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. The word love here... It refers to this strong emotional desire after something, and so he's saying, he's saying, you know, if you love oil and wine, this the strong attachment to those things will end up, you know, preventing you from really making financial progress. And in this case, it's not that pleasure is evil; it's not that all pleasure is evil, but it's just a warning here that if it's out of balance in the way that we desire for more and more pleasure certain kinds of pleasure, and then that just prevents us from making progress. So spending is, we have to be very careful in this area of spending for our pleasures. Proverbs 21:20, real similar. In the house of the wise 
our stores or savings. It's an indicator of savings, of choice, food, and oil. But a foolish man, he devours all that he has. He's just constantly running through everything he has. There are just some points where we have to say no. And there's always a new toy on TV. And all of us guys, we love toys. We love gadgets. We like tools. We like sports equipments. There's just, and the problem is, every time we buy one, it's just a few weeks away from them releasing a new one, right? And then we see ours, and we're thinking, this is an amazing computer. And, oh, look at, oh, mine, mine's smaller. It's not as fast. And it's very quickly our things become old, right? Once we've used them, they're used. So we have to be very careful. And we have to know the difference between spending and saving. There's really a difference. Sometimes we think, oh, I found an item on sale. It's $50 off. I saved $50. What? I saved $50. No. You can't. You still spend some money though, right? Sometimes if an item's 400 and it's 200 off, we think, wow, I saved, I saved $200. No, you spent $200 still. We have to know the difference between spending and saving. And I, I, we don't have the time to get into this, but I think this is a very, very important lesson to teach your kids, is the difference between savings and spending. You know, while, while many parents are thinking, hey, I want to leave my child a, a, a big inheritance, what we need to go after is, is leave our children um, rich heritages of how life really works. We need to, they need to see us pursuing wisdom on our own. They'll be... <clears throat> That will go a long way for their futures. If you will pursue wisdom aggressively, if you'll keep God first place in your life, if you'll, if you'll manage you know, saving and spending, if you'll handle these things right, they're going to learn a tremendous amount because their, their training ground is your home. The example that you set for them in these areas, they're learning. And so uh, you have to look at the fact that this is an overall transfer of responsibility to my kids. They can't just all of a sudden arrive at 18 and be expected to be good stewards. We have to slowly hand them more and more responsibility through the years. And in the area of finances, this is extremely important. We don't have really time, too much time to go into it. But one of the books on the resource table talks a lot about how to train your kids with stewardship. Um, let's look at these three attitudes to avoid. The first is pride. Pride in the spending that it drives. We've touched on this many times in, in, in several messages but this is probably one of the most um, disastrous attitudes to get into when it comes to our finances. Pride. Because it tears things down long term. Look at Proverbs 15:25. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but He keeps the widow's boundaries intact. People who are generally humble before God, they're taken care of by God. But God destroys the, the possessions of the proud. Anytime you start thinking, I'm building my life and everyone is going to look at me and wish they had my life. Everyone's going to, you know, I can't wait till I get down the road so everybody can, you know, so I can kind of look down on everyone. I've had, I've had people in my life say this. They were going after, they were going after building their, you know, their little empire. And they said, you'll see. Everyone will see. And the truth is, everyone has seen in a lot of cases because God brings down the possessions of the proud. <clears throat> Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, here's the result. Then comes disgrace. Or humiliation is another way of saying it. But with humility comes wisdom. So just stay, stay out of pride. Laziness, another attitude to avoid. 
For some of us, it's a major problem. For others of us, it's a minor problem. But for every one of us, it's a problem. Laziness is a problem for, for mankind, for all of us. Proverbs 10.4, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy hands make a man poor. It's important, if you're going to prosper in the long run, if you're going to experience God's favor in this area, um, then you understand that that means you're going to be tired. Because work is work. That's why it's not play, it's work. Look at this verse. This is a, this is a really interesting verse in Proverbs 26. Says the sluggard says, "There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. See, a lazy man is full of excuses why he shouldn't be working. So the, the sluggard, the lazy one, says, "Hey, there's a lion. I can't. He's roaming the streets. Whenever you let laziness get the best of you, there's just a thousand reasons why right now is not the appropriate time to work. There's plenty of reasons to come up with. Look at how it continues. Verse 14: As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard." turns on his bed. This is a funny picture. You know, the lazy man here, he seems anchored to his bed. He's kind of bolted to his bed. Just like a door is bolted to a door jam. It's moving, right? And the lazy man's moving, but he's not moving forward. He's stuck in his bed. Proverbs 15 goes on and says, 26, 15, the sluggard, he buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Why is he too lazy to bring it back to his mouth? He's, he's, he's hungry. He buries his hand in a dish. It's work. I can't get it. It's too much work. So he just buries his hand in the dish. He's, not, he's too lazy even to, to eat. So just watch out for this attitude of laziness. The third attitude is stinginess. Anytime we place people or money over people, then we get into stinginess. And we just need to be very careful. I'm not going to take too much time on this. Um, look at the second verse, Proverbs 11:24 through 25. One man gives gent- freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. It, it seems backwards, doesn't it? Giving leads to increase, the Bible says. When we give, we actually, God, He provides more in our life. When we hold on to, it's like we have a leak in the system. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So be careful with savings. In your savings, avoid getting stingy. Two practices to keep, and then we're done. Rarely co-sign loans. Rarely co-sign loans. Scripture has a lot to say about this. Real quickly, just going to read through these verses with you. Um, co-signing is anytime somebody doesn't have the credit to borrow something, and so they come to you and they ask you, can you co-sign? You've got good credit. You've got a history of credit. Would you co-sign this loan? What you're doing is you're essentially giving them permission to default, and you're saying, I got you. I'll cover it. Don't worry. I got it covered. We don't always realize that. Proverbs 11:15 says, He who puts up security for another will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to strike hands and pledge is safe. Just a refusal to shake on it and to have a deal, to make a deal financially for someone else. Refuse to do that is a smart thing. Look at 22. It says, Do not be a man who strikes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. For if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under, under you. Oftentimes it's just so hard to say no, but they, the repo man will come after you if, if that person defaults. So we're told to flee aggressively. If we put ourselves in a binding contract, we're to try to get out of it. We can't do that unethically, but we're trying to get out of it. Look at Proverbs 6. 
My son, if you've put up security or if you've co-signed for your neighbor, if you've struck hands in a pledge for another, if you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is a bird hunter. A bird hunter. And so anytime you're trapped, you want to get out as quickly as you can. The last thing is track your financial situation. Track your financial situation. Because riches can disappear fast. Be sure you know, Proverbs says, the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servants' girls. Your servant girls. Watch your business interest closely. Just watch your bank account. Keep track of how much money is coming in, going out. It's important to know that because if you don't know, it's, it's, it's just impossible to stay on course financially. Um, so in the Bible, to prosper in the long term is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And God, <clears throat> but just to, to say it, there's everything wrong with blowing God off. There's everything wrong with that. There's also everything wrong with being satisfied with our own view of life and not looking to find out what wisdom says, what God has to say. There's also everything wrong with developing a stingy, lazy heart. And there's real consequences. So next week we're going to look just, we're going to hear a testimony um, on, on these, this, these first two messages and then just looking about how to plan for the future as far as wise investing for your future, how to plan. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as the, as the band comes up. Father, thank you so much for for what you